and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the absolute pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Good day there. And this week is no exception as we roll into episode 207, our love letter, our special focus on the, uh, well, the dystopian trilogy, then reboot sequel and now a prequel on the way Mad Max. Oh, what a time as well. With with fuel rises increasing, could it be a glimpse into our future? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> We're going to go right the way back to 1979, where it all began, created by George Miller and Brian Kennedy, the film that catapulted Mel Gibson into stardom. Um, that is, of course, the Mad Max franchise. We're going to look at all the incarnations. I didn't even know, James, there was a video game of Mad There was Max. a great video game as well. I've got it on the old Steam. If you pick it up, it's usually cheap. And it's a great fun. 2015, I think that game yeah, came out. We'd like, I'm not joking. It's great. There's a, you build your own car as you go. Oh. So you like get to, like the car's like a character that you that you upgrade. And then I, I remember one time I got into a fight in the middle of a sandstorm. It was actually pretty epic. And I think I paid about three pounds for the game. It was really good fun. That's our show for this week. Go download that game. Have more fun. Now, if you do stick around, thank you so much. Leave us a review at the end. That's uh, much, much appreciated. If you subscribe, you get a new episode each and every week. Like last week when we did... We did so much last week. It was so much fun. What was it that we did last week? I don't remember. We did that episode on the Waterworld movie. Oh, maybe that's my forgot. <laughs> Waterworld. Yeah. Like then, the Mad Max of the sea. Yeah. yeah. Now, at the end of that episode, we did say... We did say we were going to do the uh, Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Ah, yes. Because I believed they were on Amazon Prime. Amazon has bought, I'm sure we've read somewhere, that Amazon has bought the Bond franchises. Yeah, so you can rent them all, and they now have MGM Studios, so they've got the license to to make more or to spin-offs or TV shows or series, whatever they want to do with the Bond character. But no, it's only the Daniel Craig ones that are available. And there's no way I was paying for the Pierce Brosnan ones. Turns out what they wanted to do with that franchise was make a bit more money. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't mind GoldenEye, but there's no way I'm putting any money into, you know, the uh, the, world is not enough or whatever it was. The world is not enough is... Die Another Day. Yeah, they're all pretty bad. Die Another Day is the crowning turd. (laughs) (laughs) So... So we thought instead, actually, let's do Mad Max because I was wanting to revisit uh, the uh, the most recent incarnation. I'd heard, obviously, that Furiosa is being made in the minute with Anna Taylor-Joy. Uh, That's weird, isn't it, that casting? Because I think Charlie Theron is so good in that role. It, it seems like a kick in the proverbial to take her away from it. But then again, at the same time, if you're telling a, pre- if you're telling a prequel, then obviously nowadays with anti-aging technology, are you going to do it? Are you just going to get... And Anthony Taylor... Oh, sorry. Anna Taylor-Joy. Anna Taylor-Joy. It's, it's hot, mate. She's good. I love her. She's great. Why not? Yeah. Give it a go. She's got that gift of being good even in bad movies. Yes. Which which is something that not a lot of people have. Steven Seagal. <laughs> uh, there's also a couple of movies that I've seen this week that we may get a chance to talk about. Obviously, The Grey Man has just come out on um, Netflix. Netflix. Yes. Resident Evil. I've finished the TV series. We talked about that a couple of episodes back because it just started. I've now seen all eight episodes. I'm sorry. We'll find out. What and I've saw the bit. Resident Evil movie as well. Welcome to Raccoon City. I'm so very sorry. <laughs> that was a night. I tell you, that was a night. Won't get that back, James. I know you won't. Won't get that time back. Hey, but you know what? You've seen some bad things, but I'll tell you who the biggest asshole of the week is. Mm. Santander. There you go. Some personal going on. Yeah, so I'm trying to buy a house. Uh, so this happened the other week, and this was a this was quite the thrilling day. Santander, um, we're getting our mortgage from them. They want three-month statements of the account that we've got the deposit in. Okay, fair enough. The bank that we had that deposit with don't do the three-month thing. So we, had to, so they contacted my solicitor. 
my solicitor contacted me. I contacted Esther because it's in her name and Esther contacted her bank, which is Santander. <laughs> so then Santander sent Esther an email so she could send me the email so I could send my email to my solicitor who would then send it to Santander. And then I was on the phone at one point with Santander. I don't remember which end of Santander. and just went, fucking Google a name in your system. It's, you got the account. It's in your bank. Just look at it. Anyway, fuck you. <laughs> you. You make a horrible process even worse. I mean, this is the thing though, isn't it? At the minute with the housing market and everything in the UK, it, which is ridiculous and skyrocketed for renters and for first-time buyers, um, it is ridiculous, isn't it, that you need a 10% deposit or in some cases a 5% deposit. And it's like, yeah, it's because we need to know you're good for it. Yeah. It's like, I've, if you've rented for five years exactly. at, at a cost more than your mortgage repayment and you've this. not missed the payment, I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> it is just, I remember all these like films going up and it always reminds me of Friends because those two apartments, those massive apartments, and she works part-time as a waitress. Oh, she says very early on in Friends that she inherited it from a nan. <sighs> but still. And they have to, I think in series one, they ha- they keep making the joke that if the if the uh, IRS or the, or, the, or the town council come round, they have to pretend like the old lady still lives there and they're just visiting. Oh, they do reference it. it at least two or three times in the first season. Well, I just all these series of this happy couple and they buy us and it's just like the next day they get the keys. Bullshit. It's, it's, I'm pointing it at number one, Hollywood. Get to fuck. It's one of the most stressful times, isn't it? Yeah. But you know what? I'm fine. Yeah, you all right? Yeah. 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 And also that, that whole uh, free month uh, of pesos is make sure you're not a money launderer, James. Yes, I know. I'm well aware of that because I'm fucked. Yeah. Because <laughs> of all that money I've been laundering, so... Yeah, no, I've been, I've been all right. I've been fine. I've been obviously uh, just cracking on with watching the Mad Max films. And obviously next week we're doing the Dread movies. Yes, so both of them. Judge Dread from the mid-90s and then the Carl Urban. You could argue that we're putting them on trial. I like that, James. I cannot wait for next week. But before then, we need to get through this Mad Max episode. Yeah, let's just go to Resident Evil very quickly, the TV series, because it's getting a lot of flack. It's one of them shows that it's dividing the critics and the audience members. Now, I'm not going to stick up for it and say I thought it was amazing. It was better than some of the harsh critics I've seen. Certainly better than the majority of the Mila Jovovich um, films that have come Not out. that difficult. <laughs> yeah, the bar was exceptionally low. <laughs> the bar was pretty much on the floor. Yeah. So. There was a couple of decent moments in it, a couple of big creepy crawlies, giant crocodile towards the end. And there was a backstory narrative intertwined with a modern day narrative that somehow came to, came to a kind of climax that made sense but didn't and warrants a sequel and there's questions there to be asked and... There's a, there's a character from the game, Albert Wesker, is in it, and he's not the Albert Wesker that you think, but then there's a big twist on his storyline. Lance Reddy is brilliant, though. Yeah, he, he is genuinely great. is very good. Yeah, he's great. And you know what? The, to, to, the thing that let it down most for me was the zombies. And, that, and unfortunately, in episode one, they kind of revealed as this, uh, you know, hive mentality, you know, of like clustered together. They're runners, so they're kind of they're not exactly like the games, but they try and blend various games together, you know, across the, the Yeah, they, they do kind of get more they do go into some backstory though, and I really like that, like the eyes have rotted. So they're reliant on the smell. Mm. So they smell you. That's how they find it. That's cool. But you know it, Yeah, I mean it would have worked better as a twenty eight years later T V series than a Resident Evil series because then they just start shoveling umbrella uh, propaganda in there in logos of uh, the Umbrella Corporation and all of a sudden it's a Resident Evil movie. Why but, does everyone think that? Why is everything oh we're making Resident Evil put, put the Umbrella logo fucking everywhere. Yeah and it does reference that this is a sequel to the games as well so they talk about a character dying in a volcano that happens at the end of the fourth season they talk about the original Raccoon City being nuked so this is this is a TV show at, you know that follows the games as if the games are canon mm, which, you, to which, a degree, which helps <laughs> to, to a degree but there are still certain characters that have changed roles 
um, change their ethnicities even. So it kind of, it's taken some things. Maybe they're just meant to be Easter eggs. Maybe I'm looking into this too much. Well, I read a review somewhere that says it's got some really good nods to the game series. And my response to that was, well, it's based on a video game. So that's probably like the lowest you can expect from it. But then again, I mean, that's the most fundamental thing yeah, you should have done. But then again, you know, Mila Djokovic made eight movies with barely any reference to the game. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, the Resident Evils are actually a crowning achievement of being based on source material you're never going to use. Yeah, well, I, and the thing is, the source material is so good. Them original games were brilliant. And actually, they've really kind of brought it all back with some of the survival horror games that they've done, particularly Seven, I thought was a real joy. Yes, yeah, that play. was a really good one. Um, so yeah I'm, the thing with the C series is it's better than some of the things it's a massive own goal in that it, it should have been so much better uh, will I watch the sequel if we brought out a second season yes I was um, got you then yeah but am I am I going to champion it and be like you must go out and see this no it was just mm. it was just a zombie Netflix show that was called Resident Evil to me oh fair enough um, can't win them all now the film though, the 2001 movie, Welcome to Raccoon City. So you know when I said the bar was on the floor, I think yeah. it's quite impressive if you somehow get under that bar. That's it, really. You know, if, if someone, if, so, if someone limboed under this, James, they didn't even fucking sniff the bar on the way down. Like the Milojovic movies were crap. The first one, okay. Second one had a few fun moments in it with the uh, with the nemesis character and stuff. Mm. But after that, it just became a CG mess. And yeah. You know, and then this one, Welcome to Raccoon City, which is taking game one and two and, and putting them together in a cross story. So you've got the mansion and the police station, but not enough time in either of them to warrant you ever thinking you was in a police station or ever believing that you were in a mansion. <laughs> it's so crisscrossing, isn't it? it? I've seen this. Yeah. And then talk about like messing up some characters from the games. I mean, certain characters in it as well are like, I mean, they're just the name. That is where the similarities end is they're just called in the same name. Yeah. It is... God awful, that movie. Boring, bland, and just... It's like someone watched, played the first 10 minutes and went, yeah, I've got an idea. We'll just we'll just do this. It's, it's characters. And I like that, you know, he has to distance itself because he doesn't want to be seen as just the same old shit. So they make drastic character changes. And I don't play the games, but even I know the characters weren't like that or making these choices or combining two characters to give you this one. Ultimately, you just got a bunch of people. I didn't really care if they lived or died. <laughs> and, and somehow the CGI... Elements of the CGI were brilliant, and then some of it was worse than a film made twenty years prior. Yeah, and, and you know, and I like you know the villain in this is the William Birkin character, which I really liked from Game Two, and then you know, but I also in Game Two like Leon Kennedy, and in this they made him like a proper rookie. In the game, it's his first time; it's his, he's going into Raccoon City, but he's competent. It's his first he's time competent. in Raccoon. Yeah, so yeah, he, he, yeah, he's the rookie, and you play as that character, which is good because you are learning as he learns, and that's the whole point of it. Whereas in this, they make him like. How did he ever get in the police force? <laughs> and like, has he ever done a day's work in his life? Because he just doesn't know what he's doing. No. Um, and it was just a shame. And that, maybe that's because, again, he was the playable character that I most, you know, played as a, as a kid. So when your favourite character isn't done right. I mean, That's it. You know, I think fans, dialed fans, and I get it. I get it. I know people that, you know, certain incarnations of their favourite movies, uh, your video game adaptations, we talk about all the time of Uncharted. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Tom Hollander won't watch it because it's not, that's not my Nathan Drake. Yeah, no, it's, it, that's actually a perfect example. Even if you go back to like the remake of Mortal Kombat, one of my biggest problems was with the character of like Johnny Cage not mm. being in it. And you know, that's those kind of choices. It's like, it's my favourite game franchise. What was my favourite character in it? You feel loyalty. Yeah. Because you grew up playing with them and going through a story and following them. So yeah, to piss on a character such as Leon, still somehow better than his 
what, referencing the other films. <laughs> Netflix big release at the moment, uh, directed by, written and directed by the Russo brothers, who have just been given the blank check to turn the Grey Man into a universe. That's so, weird. So much so that they're potentially out of the runnings now to direct the Avengers movie, because I know one of them has uh, already got an assigned director. Um, but certainly uh, they look like they're off the cards for the MCU at the moment. That's because they're focusing on the Grey Man, and that is... Um, a movie that's just come out on Netflix. It was number one on Netflix last week, starring Ryan Gosling, Anna Diarmas, and Chris Evans and Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, star-studded cast, big explosion, espionage movie that takes us across multiple cities with high stakes. It's uh, around a CIA um, black ops operative, so ex-criminal turned uh, government enforcer, secret though, um, is asked to go on a hit, on a mission to take out um, a target who has secrets or is... Well, something. Something, yeah. Um, Got to take him away from distance, though, but he can't, because this guy, despite the fact he's a criminal, mate, he has a code. You've got to have a code. <laughs> got to have a code. He, he, can't, he can't guarantee he won't kill some innocents, so he goes in for the kill, finds out some information that maybe he shouldn't have. Yeah, maybe makes his employers look a bit shady mm. in certain lights. Uh, and then, therefore, the hit then is placed on our central character, Six, played by Ryan Gosling, the the agent who's sent to make the hit in the first place now becomes uh, the target himself. On, hot on his heels and chasing after him is Chris Evans' character. Um, Chris Evans playing Lloyd Hansen, yeah. kitted out with a moustache. That's it. That's the only thing you'll come away from this film. The one thing you'll remember is he looks all right in a moustache. He does, and a buzz cut haircut. <laughs> and Anna Diarmas, who's somewhere in the middle, works for the agency, doesn't know if she can trust Six, uh, certainly doesn't trust Lloyd and the uh, and the gang that are after him. And then uh, the mentor role was Billy Bob Thornton playing Fitzroy. So it's the I was shocked that this is a Russo Brothers movie because it is absolutely like connect the dots play by you, you know yeah. like, uh, play by numbers kind of movie that you know it, we've moved away from this from Mission Impossible one you know what I mean like mm. it's that this is twenty years ago they were making movies like this um, but I did find myself really enjoying it in the sense that it is leave your brain at the door Gosling and Evans know knew exactly what they signed up to. Signed up to go watch to to star in a movie which would take him to multiple locations, make them both look very good, you know, as the as the supercharged villain as and the untouchable um, hero, you know, or, or anti-hero, I suppose in this case, it does make them two look very good. It's witty. It's you know, Gosling delivers a really witty performance in this, quite quite funny actually in some places where it shouldn't have been funny, and I think Gosling has a real strength in doing that. Um. Even Billy Bob Thornton, who can really, really phone it in, and I, I really, really like Billy Bob Thornton. But when he, when he phones it in, he's bad. It's very bad. And even this, I think he knew what he signed up to, and he delivers exactly that with a little bit of, a little bit of cheese on the top, just to, just for flavour. And you know what? It, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be throughout the whole thing. I, I wasn't bored. I found myself laughing. There's no end of uh, continuity errors. One minute, you know, uh, two people are fighting in a fountain that one of them is trying to drown them in. The next scene, it's ankle deep. And I'm just like, hey, hold on. Like, <laughs> the whole film was like that, you know. Um, you know, people getting stabbed in places that are fatal and somehow still being able to fight on and explosions that don't kill anyone. And it had all the things like that in it. And it wasn't a Bond movie. It wasn't a Bourne movie. It wasn't a Mission Impossible movie. I think what made me, what stuck the landing for me was it was a Grey Man movie. It kind of, although it stole narratives and characters that we've seen before it did feel like its own movie way better than some of the shit that um bay's been putting out on netflix like six underground 
you know, oh. and those kind of, and Red Notice, you know, I know Baden do Red Notice, but if I take them to his examples, Star Study Cast, you know, uh, big, big budget, globe-trotting adventures with explosions and, and all that kind of stuff. In comparison, I would watch The Grey Man over Six Underground and Red Notice any day of the week. Well, that's a good shout, yeah. I'm not saying it was great. This was absolutely middle of the road. If it wasn't for Gosling and Evans having so much fun in their roles, I think I would have turned it off a lot sooner. So I was watching it and I had this funny feeling I'd seen, I've seen this movie before in different incantations. And then after the film, I had a, I had some epiphanies. I really do like Chris Evans. I've, I find that Chris Evans, I'm drawn to him. And I imagine that he has so much fun because he's widely known now as, you know, Captain America. Captain America is a, a goody two-shoes doesn't get to act out all the time. He toes line, does the right thing. He's the moral choice. So he has a lot of fun, I find, Chris Evans, when he gets the chance to not do that. And I'm talking about uh, Snowpiercer. He gets to have a lot of fun as an anti-hero who just wants to survive. And in reality, he's done horrific things. Mm. Like when you find out his backstory in Snowpiercer, you're like, oh, he's not a hero. He's a cuck. Um, the uh, Knives Out gets to play that irritating, you know, bratty, bratty self-entitled, self fantastic. Cardigan-wearing. Or sweater wearing. Is sweater wearing. And in this, it's just like, is a moustache, is a buzz cut. You free range. And I think he excels in the role. And I like my Chris Evans as the villain. I've been noticing lately that I'm really getting on the Chris Evans bandwagon. I think he's really good. And I think whatever it is, he has got. I think he's perfect foil for what I think is sometimes a bit too vanilla. Um, Gosling, but I like Gosling when he comes out and he does things like drive. You know where he gets to experiment as well? So he's good. I think they've got good dynamic. It upsets me they don't share that much screen time together because they bounce off each other wonderfully in a delightful mm. cosmic balance of absolute craze not. And even the character of Six, played by Gosling, he's not level-headed. He's still kind of crazy. Like, he is a criminal. He is a hitman doing, doing crazy weird things. The action, unique. Mm. It is different. And the elements you said, like, that they borrowed from here... Do you know what's really weird is I grew up in a time where 90s films, obviously I grew up in the 90s, they were well aware to me. But there's people out there that haven't seen the film Leon. There's an element of this. They inject a, a young girl into the mix who's a daughter that's someone you have to protect. So whilst it's not exactly like Leon, I found it was like a buffet of films I really liked and it was adding to them. One of my favourite performances, um, Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. And I got that from Chris Evans. I was like, oh, he's a bit crazed. Mm. I... I really liked it more than I thought I was going to. So I was watching it and it wasn't until after the film that I thought, I do it wasn't as bad as I thought it was whilst watching it. It's mm. one of those films that, yeah, you have seen elements of it before. Do I think it's worthy of this great universe? So when I read that they were doing this massive universe, I was like, I don't see that. But you know what? I've, I've been wrong before. I mean, maybe if anyone can do it, it's the Russo brothers. I think, I mean, yeah, Gosling had enough comedy in it and it, his deadpan kind of It was very good. There are scenes, you know, high stake scenes, like life and death scenes where he still cracks out a couple of lines that I'm like, they're really good. And the introduction of him and, and Lloyd as well, where he, he, he calls it the the the, um, the trash stash. Yeah. Which I thought, I just laughed. I, I physically was laughing for ages at that scene. I thought it was really, really funny. Um, and I think the great inclusion of, and I'm going to be honest here, mate, I'm going to say it now, I think one of my favourite actresses out at the moment, Anna de Armas. I More, mm. just more. I don't care what you do, more. I think she, I thought she was brilliant in this. Yeah, yeah, really, really good, really, really good uh, performances and, in an otherwise. You've seen this movie before, but yeah, I, I was, I, I had no expectations that it was going to be any good, and and I, 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 yeah, I watched it, and I would recommend it to people that like movies that are from the action genre. There's, there's a set piece in the middle of the movie that is a bit OTT, but then again, you know, it's no different to what Bond goes through, or yeah. you know, or, or the Mission Impossible movies like Ethan Hunt goes through. Like, you know, these are death-defying, you know, you shouldn't have survived that four kind of scenes, you know. But then Diod made its name off that, you know. 
The uh, the biggest thing he's got, I remember about this was I was watching this and I feel so bad for the actor because this is how they'll all ever, forever be known. Oh, that was the guy for Bridgerton. <laughs> and that was a bit heartbreaking because I've spent ages trying to know where I've, where I've known from is Bridgerton. And that actor, what's your name you're about to say? No? Uh, is it is it Reggie Jean yeah, that's Page? Right. They believe he's going to be the next Bond. He's now the favourite. Mm. So there you go. So, so it was crazy. But I love the fact they picked him up from Bridgerton. It's like... You've seen him before. He's a popular character. And he's good as a snaky kind of dickhead. And I, do you know what? He was full of great performances. Maybe not great, under uh, underappreciated performances. The Grey Man was a, it's a delight that I didn't see coming. So maybe mm. not a delight, but you know, it's a, it, <laughs> the meal was all right, but the aftertaste was good. You always go, you always go back to the food, don't you? <laughs> it's just one potatoes, mate. <laughs> it was it's curried spinach. There you go. Now, uh, if someone's downloaded this episode on the title, there's bound to be something around it being on Mad Max. We're 20 minutes in and we've not talked about the topic. So, I'm sorry. Um, no, we, we're going to get there. That's 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 what we're going to discuss. So we're going to get through that. Now, uh, obviously, Mad Max movies. Uh, when was the first time you remember seeing a Mad Max film? I remember I was, must have been about 12 and it was the feral kid from Mad Max 2, uh, Road Warrior. So throw, you, in, you watched- throw in his... Phone is a thing. But the thing is, I could have seen the first one and not realised it was a Mad Max film. <laughs> this is something I'm bound to get on to. <laughs> so. The world in tor- turmoil, heat rising, no sign of leadership or stable government, people fighting over fuel. Enough about the UK, Mad <laughs> Max. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, created by George Miller and Brian Kennedy, Mad Max was released to the world in 1979 and tells the story of a lawman named Max who turns vigilante in the Australian wasteland. Filmed on a budget... Of $400,000, it earned over a hundred million US dollars. That's quite a return. And in 1979 into 1980, he broke the Guinness World Records for most profitable film. It's just crazy. That is crazy, isn't it? The film would then go on to become a franchise with two sequels, a sequel reboot, a video game, and an upcoming prequel currently being filmed at the moment in Australia called Furiosa, as we've already talked about. Um, I Yeah, I watched two. I, I remember watching two and then hunting down a copy of one. Yep. Because one of the points I'm going to get onto when we get onto two is it wasn't ever, it initially wasn't sold as a sequel because not many people did see the first one. Obviously, I know it made the money that it made, but um, it was dubbed in America. It was one of their movies that um, when the second one came out, because Mel Gibson still was relatively new around the block, um, they just called it The Road Warrior. And, ah. it, and so they didn't, so they didn't want to put Mad Max 2 for people to go, well, I didn't see the first one. And it put people off wanting to watch the second one. So I remember watching The Road Warrior and then learning it's a sequel and then watching Mad Max, which is totally quite different. Um, but we'll get on to that. So set in a apocalyptic Australia, we see society begin to crumble and the highway starting to decay, fighting for whatever's left of civ- civilization is Max, a leather-wearing MFP officer, mm. the last line of defense against terrorizing gangs and criminal outlaws. With a ruthless reputation of stopping the bad guys, we meet Max as he joins the pursuit um, of MFP officers chasing down a criminal called the Night Rider. The Night Rider, mate. Do you know what? Good introduction. I like the Night Rider. Office tits, mate. <laughs> An OTT Aussie gang member and self-confessed fuel-injected suicide machine. When Max puts a deadly end to the Night Rider's crusade, he gains the attention of his villainous comrades, including leader Toe Cutter, played by Hugh Keysburn, and Johnny the Boy, played by Tim Burns who first take out revenge on Max's partner, Goose, and then... Fucking, it was bound to be Goose. As soon as you heard his name was Goose, you're like, well, he's dead. <laughs> even, even though Top Gun came later. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, and after taking out Goose, then taking out Max's wife and son. 
This destroys Max, who becomes angry, bitter, and full of hate. With nothing left to lose, Max takes an all-black prototype interceptor V8 and goes after the gang for deadly revenge. Mad Max 1 is the story of Max. The character is, I suppose, it would be what filmgoers would call a character study. Is you know the, the film's named after him. And it is about the change of that individual. Now, when I watched this young, the first time I watched it, I remember from the beginning, be like, he's not that mad. He's not that mad, is he? He's not that crazy. Kind of, you know, it's not like we would see it nowadays, kind of with the explosions, with technology, with visual effects and all that kind of stuff. But the film is, it, he, it's his journey. By the end of the movie, he is the person that has nothing left to lose. Yeah. Is it even in a metamorphosis scene where, spoilers, he's wearing all white with a shotgun and then, and then basically crumbles into a human like, shell of a person he's wearing all white with a shotgun hunting his killers sees what they've done next scene all in black mate mm. yeah and he trades off the fucking the, the yellow Batman mate <laughs> <laughs> he trades off the yellow uh, MFP vehicle the police vehicle and he changes it for this all black V8 it is a you know he is uh, uh, you know the metaphor at the beginning of the movie he is the symbol of humanity um, you know and but throughout the film as well we see that he's regretting a lot of his actions he actually quits the force midway through the movie after realising that he's his techniques and his actions are making him no worse than the criminals that he is trying to stop. And even in the midst of being fearful, he's yeah. like, I want to quit. It's like, I'm afraid. Yeah. So. He shows emotion, depth. And then, uh, like I say, he chooses the quieter life. He doesn't want to be a hero. He doesn't want to be a savior. But when he loses everything, he walks away from any hope that he had. The film isn't about good or bad or overcoming evil. The film's theme is survival of the fittest. It's a dog eat dog scenario. And as Max's soul deteriorates, like the surrounding uh, landscape, it's symbolised in him, as, like we said, with the change of clothing, the change of character. The film ends with him choosing to go off into the wastelands versus going back to the town or what's left of the township, you know, and trying to make a better life. He kind of gives in to the world around him. The world around him moulds him and defeats him. The first movie is really bleak. Yeah. I re I've seen it maybe four or five times in, in my life. The first time... Way too young to really appreciate it. I think I put it on for seeing the movie titled Mad Max, knowing Mel Gibson is from films like Lethal Weapon and stuff like that. And then young, isn't he? Yeah, going back to this and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, Mad Max, this is going to be crazy. It had a cool status as well. It was a film that was known as being brutal. Um, and it isn't gory. It's not bloody. In fact, actually, there are only 50, um, 50 uh, screenshots of violence in the movie. Uh, still, sorry, of violence. The majority of it is implied. Yeah, I can you see know, that. Yeah. Almost all of it. You know, there's, there's very little blood, guts, or gore. There are some collisions. There are, um, you know, but a lot of it is implied. The camera turns away before the act happens, and then you see the aftermath, or you hear about the aftermath. Yeah. Um, you know, the film was shot on an incredibly low budget. Um, you know, which a lot of it George Miller self-financed from working in an ER department, and that's where he got the idea for the film, seeing so many crash victims coming into the wards. Um, mixed with the fact that in 73 in Australia, there was a uh, oil uh, shortage where people were literally fighting at the pumps to get uh, fuel for their vehicles. So the combination of the two led him to um, writing, uh, writing the movie and then later on uh, filming it. Um, originally intended to be a silent movie as well, so it, the I only, think that would have worked. That would have been awesome. Yeah, Max was never going to say anything. It was the whole the movie was just going to be uh, the the car sounds. So it was only going to be the car and a bit of score, and it was supposed to be part action, part road movie. And actually, Miller went on to say that he just wanted it to be real basic and simple, violent and ruthless. And the central mechanism of the film, um, sorry, the central mechanism of the film being the violence and and the brutality of it. Can I just say that you know noir of Wolverine Logan mm. Noir 
a version of this, black and white with no sound. I would fucking love that. Yeah. It'd be like an art movie, obviously, because there's nothing more art than black and white, no sound. But that would have been awesome. It also wasn't supposed to be a post-apocalyptic movie. It wasn't supposed yeah, to no. be set after a yeah. war. Yeah, it shows. Yeah, because, because again, because they had no money to make it. But I've got a point, actually. I, you know, we were watching that, and then obviously, I know we're jumping ahead, but when you see like the, even the opening of Mad Max 2, we say all the time, and the, the joke is, I always say, we've missed a better movie, you know, when we're talking about setups. But if you were in, if you weren't in a major city like Sydney in Australia and you were on the outskirts and the apocalypse had started, you know, they were running out of these things. This is exactly how you'd see it. Mm. You, it wouldn't be instant. It wouldn't be like the next day there'd be like leather bound assless chap people That's coming. <laughs> in your house shooting it up. There'd be a bit where like, this is like, to me, this is the first gang. It's happening. No one knows what's really happening. The world hasn't changed that much because in this, they, they go on holiday. There's tow trucks. There's electricity. There's no real problems. The police force is called a different name. But these may be like the first people, the, the gang, Toko, they might be the first of many that are to come. They're just the first that like embrace the anarchy. Mm -hmm. So actually, weirdly, I think it sets in the Mad Max world perfectly. This is just, just after the apocalypse. It's coming. Yeah. And I think when I was watching that, knowing what happens in the future, the film actually ran a lot better. Yeah, I mean, considering as well that there was only three years between Mad Max 2 and Mad Max 1, a lot happens in them three Fuck years. Fuck off, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> in, in terms of timeline. This, yeah, I, I like that. I like that this is... So they use that to its advantage because they didn't have the, the budget to do to film. First off, they didn't have the permits or the budgets to film in the big cities. And they certainly didn't have the money to do the props and all that kind of stuff. Um, they shot on derelict roads. They shot in abandoned buildings, you know, where the Max's house, the police station. They're abandoned buildings. And actually the film crew brought in their own furniture so they could actually have a set oh, for them to cool. act on. That's cool. It was all low budget. And actually it got a real um, underdog uh, morale behind it where local police found out they were filming and it actually helped them with shutting down the roads. None of them had permits to do the crashes that they were doing um, and the stunts that they were doing, uh, you know, on some of the, particularly the Night Rider scene. Thank God nothing went wrong then. Because, yeah. Uh, they would have been screwed. Well, at least they had a doctor on set with Miller himself, but it was described as, as guerrilla filmmaking. So it was just a camera, go, we've got X amount. And that's why also it's all shot in daylight because they didn't have the lights or the rigs to do any night scenes. They didn't even think about that. The whole film was shot in the day, yeah. There's, which also um, adds to the brutality as well. Also, there's something really, uh, maybe now's the time to bring up what I'd call it's not Mad Max, it's Sad Max. <laughs> because because I know he spends a lot with Sad. He's all about revenge, though, when he's getting toe cut. He doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> he just chases him. It's, he distracts him long enough for him to die somehow differently. It's like, he doesn't kill him. He, he His eyes walked out as he gets hit by a truck, <laughs> which um, when I rewatched it, I was looking out because you told me for no reason. Those eyes, eyes do out. His eyes pop out. But I was like, oh, he doesn't get him. Aww. And then the second film is like, oh, you know what you thought you were? Oh, sad Max. <laughs> and then by the third one, you're just like, oh, sad Max. It is, it is the deconstruction of the character. Yeah. It is, um, you know, he becomes mad. Mad in the, in, in the sense of, you know, he's he's angry and he's... Uh, Rest you know, of hope and stuff yeah. like that. Like he's... he's, he's I tell you what as well, I thought he lost his family a lot earlier on. He mm. literally loses them with 10 minutes of the movie to go. <laughs> it was something like 15 minutes. It's quite late. I didn't really, because we need to appreciate his loss, you know, so we, but weirdly we don't spend that much time with the family either. But that's like a really good scene as well, because that's what I mean. That's like the onskirts of pack mentality. They're crazed. They'll, they'll go with that extra fire. It's the start of the apocalypse, which I've really, really liked. And that scene though, it's genuinely heartbreaking. Mm. The film, I, I really, really like the film we were watching this week, and um, liking the, the the budget filmmaking that it that it goes through. Seeing, you know, the um, 
the, you know, the fact that it's, when I read around the film, because I, I kind of like was, when we said we were going to do it, I kind of got some notes, so I started reading around it. Then when I watched it, I was like, I really appreciate it a lot more knowing that they did it on such a budget. So for example, they didn't hire any American actors because that would destroy the budget. Yeah. Um, so they went with Mel Gibson. They actually went to uh, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts where they literally just said, we need a young, spunky guy. And up came old sugar tits himself, Mel Gibson. <laughs> We'd done a couple of episodes of TV and had a minor role in a 1977 movie called Summer City where I believe he played the character Scallop. <laughs> Um, you, you used with belief when we both know that's I exactly do know, yeah. right, If I was you? a mastermind, James, my mastermind would be uh, my would, first? would be Mel Gibson pre-sugar tits. <laughs> <laughs> up, up until all that stuff started happening. Um, I'd like to be there when you explain that <laughs> to the host of Mastermind. It was uh, supposed to film over 12 weeks, but there was some initial delays, particularly with uh, one character in the film breaking their arm, so they had to recast. Hey. Oh, did you not mean that as a joke? You can have it as a joke. <laughs> I thought, you, I thought it was a joke that went on two levels. Whereas Mel Gibson was uh, dubbed to have an American accent, Hugh Case Byrne, who plays Toe Cutter, the villain of the film, who I also think maybe steals the show. Yeah, I think Because Gibson has the emotion and the range, and he does go through that journey. You know, you do see him go through different emotional states through the film, and it is about him. But the, I think the person who's having most fun is Hugh Case Byrne, who um, changes his accent throughout the entire film to give the perception that he's crazed and that he's un, unhinged. Was actually a Shakespearean trained actor and was from the theatre and as a, as a background on stage. And his main uh, inspiration for the role was Genghis Khan. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mad Max, to me, gets an absolute thumbs up. It was really, really good revisiting. It's not for everyone. Like I said, 92 minutes, pretty cut and done. Um, a lot of drawn out car sequences that... When not a lot happens, that like the opening car sequence against uh, Night Rider, it's just back and forth between the two cars where the police, the MFP group, look really incompetent, and then he just looks absolutely crazed and berserk. And then Max takes the longest time to join the pursuit. Yeah. And then when he finally does, you're like, "Come on, do something!" And, and he, he just kind of just really. runs him off the road a little bit. It's like. It's, it's it's not paced brilliantly, and I think certainly to today's standards, there's more high octane. Um, guzzoline fueled movies out there if you like your car films but in terms of 79 it's a great great little watch the simplicity works for it it's a, it's a like you said it's a character driven study of a world which is about to lose its grip when you see it from this angle that Aaron's just explained to you it, it brings out other things it's, I love filmmaking that has to cut its corners well not cut its corners because you never want to risk life it has to deal with certain limitations mm. it, and, and that's brilliant and I think when you watch this and it being holding the Guinness record for I imagine gross profit. I mean, that's crazy. I love that. Mm. And it, no matter how much I don't like paranormal activity or I don't like, you know, friend zoned or whatever that one, you've got to admire the amount of money that actually takes to shoot and the, and the different ways of telling a story. And that's where I never even realized that none of it was shot at night because it's not something you consider. Mm. I think that's the lights and it. Yeah. It's mental. I've really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought it was going to, especially because I watched them backward. I watched the second one first, watched the first one. Watch the third one. Watch the re re spiel. Um, yeah, I've really I, I a lot better than I thought it was because I always had this impression that Mad Max one was crap. No, I, was, yeah. I really liked it. I, I, no, I, I did. I'm That's what I mean. Say, I think it's my favorite out of the original trilogy. Yeah. Now, Mad Max two coming up, the Road Warrior, which we already set off the pace when it came out. They they dubbed it originally just the Road Warrior for fear that someone hadn't seen the first movie. When your movie makes the amount of money that Mad Max did, of course, the sequel is going to follow. And of course bigger film studios and distributors are going to want a piece of it. It's set only three years after Mad Max. 
showing the complete collapse of Australia. What has happened in that time? I tell you what, where where is petrol, you know, fuel and water are on the decline? Assless chaps and leather, mate. Fucking making a killing. They are making a comeback, aren't they? I just don't understand. And we've had this, we talk about this every week. We mention it every week. Sand and assless chaps do not go well no. together, especially if you're riding a, a motorcycle. Like if you're in a car, at least you've got some sort of, you know, separation of the debris and the particles. <laughs> but this person's on a motorbike. <laughs> not talking about Max, obviously. This is oh, one of the, oh, sorry. This is, the, this this is, is this Mr. Igo. Mr. Igo. In the inner space. <laughs> the, shows up with his ass on full display. And that ass gets a lot of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> and well deserved. It's a nice it's ass. It's good ass. It is. Also, he's a. He doesn't say many words. He just spends the entire time going, ah. <laughs> that's, his, that's his ass talking. <laughs> Fucking crying out in pain. It's like, give me some Savoy. <laughs> I hear it's a real experience in 3D. It's uh... <laughs> Mr. Ryko's ass jiggling at you. Oh. Oh, um, Wandering the Wastelands in this sequel is Max, this time with a dog companion, both scavenging oh. for food, water, and oil fighting off leather-clad bandits along the way. So the villains are still thick and, um, you know, ripe on the roads. They are still um, being but, hunted. But somehow they've broken into your, like, your mum's secret fetish store, mate, and they're all there with their bondage kit. I know. Because even the main guy, mate, straight out bondage. We'll get to him. Right. We'll get to him. <laughs> what law? But, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Mad Max 2 and you need a description of it, just imagine... Imagine you took a little bit of American football padding, so yeah. the shoulder pads and a bit of the chest plate. A, t- a tiny bit. Yeah, and, and, and then you attach some feathers <laughs> and then just cut a giant hole out of the ass of whatever trousers you're wearing. Yeah. Well, that's just, your outfit. Well, just straight up get a gimp mask. <laughs> just straight up get one. It is awfully gimpy, isn't it? And I'm not against that. I'm not, I'm, you know, each to their own. But when, you know, oh, it's post-apocalyptic. It's only been three years since, like, everything was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact he's like, we've run out of fuel quickly. Get your gear mask on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, there's no water. Right, cut, cut some holes in the well, maybe, 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 maybe it's supposed to be that like, because everyone's scavenging, these are the only things they could find. Because yes. you know, all the good stuff had gone yeah. and the only things that were left on the rail. <laughs> it's like, all the good stuff was gone. <laughs> yeah. I bet, I bet if you were to TK Maxx and you dug hard enough, you'd find some assless leather chaps. Ah, fair enough. Yep. But, can't, can't disagree with that logic. It is quite an acquired look, really, for, for the wastelands of, of Australia. Three years on after the, the apocalypse happened. As I say, Max is scavenging for food, water and oil with a dog companion. He's eventually met by the, uh, the gyro captain. <sighs> More about him later. He tries to ambush Max, but he's then defeated by his loyal dog. He doesn't have a name. He's just named Dog within mm. the movie. It's always called Max, weirdly. I don't know why. In an attempt to save his life, the gyro captain tells Max about a nearby compound that is full of oil and fuel. Scoping out the compound, Max learns that locals are being terrorised by a barbarian clan led by, wait for it, Lord Humongous. Think Jason Voorhees after a couple of years at the gym. I, I wonder what this is. This guy was definitely picked on before the apocalypse. I like, like to think he, he wasn't was, even an actor. They he, just found him on the side of the road. I like to think he was just like, it's like, all right, dickhead. He's like, everyone hated him. And he's just like, the apocalypse happened. He went, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat some fucking protein. <laughs> he started beefing up and he's like, in the gym, they called him small dick. And it's like, no, it was humongous. Lord, Lord humongous. humongous. But he still got quite an ugly face. So he was like, I'm going to get that gimp mask. <laughs> just well, because, because no one take me seriously if I'm not wearing a gimp mask. It's the hockey mask, isn't it? The very, it's the Jason Voorhees hockey mask. It is a hockey wearing. mask. And it's like, again, it's, it's like, I imagine he was wandering the wastelands and he's like, 
Lord, <laughs> sure, it's not it's not hot enough. Lord, Lord humongous. <laughs> like, you know, I know that you're just in your pants, but maybe you want to cover up your face. Yeah. He's like, yeah, good, good point. Yeah. But it, it is in a rid- shape though. It's a ridiculous look. Oh, you can't can't deny the guy is in shape. He's and got a big, good booming voice. Yeah, yeah, but still, I mean, you he probably would be the leader just by sheer size and intimidation, no. and I'd follow him because he clearly knows where the protein is. Yeah, <laughs> where the food is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, do you know what? This again, I think what really helps Mad Max, and this is maybe where the third one might fall off the rails, rails a little bit, is simplicity. Mm. So he gets in the compound, and I think it's really good that the goodies and the baddies have decided to colour coordinate, so it's easier to know. Oh, the good guys wear white, <laughs> and everyone else is hard naked. They're the villains. And and this one, this one is very much like uh, we talked about Waterworlds last week, and this is the you know this is clearly the inspiration for Waterworld. The majority of the movie takes place in a compound. Our hero, the guy that we're following, Max, gets in. He learns that the, it's the a mutant. Of- he can he can breathe under dust. <laughs> he he learns that. Um, he, he, he learns that the uh, the outside gang are terrorizing these locals. He then bargains for his life by saying that if you let me go, three days ago I saw a, a truck that I can bring back here. That truck will then move the oil tanker and give you safe passage to wherever you're going. But it is a suicide mission. Um, but to, if he does it, he gets all the fuel that he can carry. That's the kind of basic gist. You're right. There's ten minutes of story, and mean. then that is all you need because when we're in this compound. It then just becomes Max versus this gang led by Lord Humongous. And, you know, but it, it, it is quite brutal. You know, and the, it, you do see this gang, they they rape, they kill, they attack anyone that leaves. They Even though they're like, if you leave now, we won't hurt you. It's, well, you know, I've just seen you do a lot of nasty things to the last people that left. So this one, this isn't, this isn't a, uh, this isn't a, you know, what you didn't see or the implied. They literally, they stay on that scene, which which is awkward to watch. It's, it's quite brutal. There's a, a rape scene and you're just like, Let's wait. No, they zoom in. <laughs> so they zoom in to show like this is literally a, and you kind of have to differentiate in case you have seen the first one. It's now lawless. He's not a policeman. He's surviving. But again, the ending wasn't expected. Genuinely surprising ending. Two it things. has got a good ending. It's got a good ending where the good guy is not the good guy, and the hero that the narrator is talking about isn't even Mad Max. And I loved that. I was like. Fuck you, Mad Max. Mm. Even in your own film, you're not the hero. I, but that I thought that was the ballsiest part of the movie is because the movie, like you said, he it keeps up this you know isolated wandering figure, you know, because the 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 narrator wasn't even talking about him. Yeah. Again, he is just a passerby. He's just someone that uh, that you know crosses the wastelands and you know he's there if you need him. Maybe a hero might not be for the right price. Um, the problem with this is it's like the later Lethal Weapon movie, particularly the fourth Lethal Weapon movie where Mel Gibson in that movie is no longer the lethal weapon. He's married, you know, they're talking about children, he's settled down. Yeah, There's only like two scenes where you think, oh, he's a bit crazy and he's a bit lethal. You know, that movie ends with him and Jet Li on the on the pier and he's like, yeah, it's a bit cold. You know, and, the, yeah. and, and it's only then he's like, nah, maybe I we do should. do kind of want to see why he did that with the gun. Yeah, and so... He's, he, you know, he's not very much lethal weapon by that last one. He's kind of mild weapon. Yeah, he's like <laughs> lukewarm weapon. And this one, it's the same. It's like, he's got the wandering look and Mel Gibson in this film as well, cut his own hair. He shaved his eyebrows. He, he really went above and beyond to try and look disheveled and three years on the road. Like his outfit apparently was pristine and he like slept in it, took it out, ripped it, tried to really kind of get in the Give character. Give it to three year age. But the film and the, the directing style of the sequel, like films like Aliens and Terminator 2, the bigger budget means bigger explosions. The bigger explosions mean you dilute any kind of character or story and it just becomes crash bang wallop. Mm. The film is pretty brutal as well with some of the crashes. A lot of the stuntmen in this movie did break arms and legs and a lot oh. of the crashes you see were accidents that they just kept in the movie. Oh, So yeah, there's a, a bit of a history Ooh. about this one as well. 
uh, where, like I said, they are actual crashes that they were just like, well, we filmed it now, we may as well keep it. Fucking that was horrible. Um, and like I say, it is, uh, it, the movie, Gibson only has 16 lines of dialogue throughout the whole thing. I like that though. I Yeah, I think I do as well. I think he's done his character in the first one. So, and, and if this one is going to be more action and, and explosions and stuff, make him the silent protagonist. Yeah. Cameron was a big fan. This was an inspiration for him making the movie Terminator. Um, again, as I already said, it was it was originally named just the Road Warrior, so people didn't feel necessary to see the first movie. And he doesn't try and hinge on the first movie too much. No, that's good. In um, fact, in fact, after the first film, he never gets really told that he was a police officer. I think there's a line in the third film, and that's it. Also, in this one, they the original V8 from the first movie they thought was had been scrapped. They learned that someone still had it, and it was beaten down. And they said oh, we'll have it back. And he's like, oh, no, it's broken. He's like, no, that's perfect. They'll fit the movie even better. Yeah. So they brought the original car back and used its natural wear and tear to make it look like it had been on the road that long. Got to say, though, this is probably my favourite. I, 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 I know the first one. I know, I know you like the first one. You like the character study, but this is the first one I saw. And it was really weird because I watched it with you. I think Esther was there. I think Emily was there. We were having a Chinese. And it was the scene where the feral kid throws his boomerang and it cuts that guy's hands off. And every, the villains just are so nonchalant about it. And the guy is like devastated. He goes and picks up his own fingers. And I remember the first time I saw that, I think that's the first level of brutality I'd seen. Mm. That sticks with you in a film. I think he, the, I, remember, I remember that scene because I, I never liked the feral kid because I, of that. I think he is called feral kid as well. Yeah, I think he's, he's never named kid. or anything. Yeah, And I can't remember a name that the, the, uh, the, the lady in white at the compound yeah. She was a Bond girl later on, wasn't she? In, I believe so, yeah. In Living Daylight, I think she was. Yeah. And, an East, and a neighbour's uh, alumni. Oh. Um, but, but I've got to say, the second one to me, I think it's, maybe it's the first one I saw, and it did stick with me, but there's everything about it, like the prolonged action scene. It's something you've never seen. You, your action scenes would last 10 minutes, give you a bit of storyline, get you to the next one. Basically, as soon as he leaves the compound after your storyline, you get thrilling action constant action that like he doesn't let up and I'm going to say ask us chaps man Mr. Igo he's a good villain I don't think he speaks a word he speaks like one word and it's almost and it, I'm reading so much into Mad Max 2 Road Warrior there's even like a dynamic where he goes up against Lord Humongous because he wants revenge because the feral boy the feral kid accidentally killed like his his gay lover it's like so he's got that personal element now and but he doesn't speak any of this it comes through his roars and his animalistic and, nature his animalistic nature and the ripple of his ass cheeks <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's all the story is told through his left cheek <laughs> but do you know what I, I love that giving me a civil war dynamic with Lord Humongous and <laughs> Cheeks who I've decided to call his cheeks. name is Wes <laughs> but I'm just saying that was do you know what I, brilliant I actually really liked that and again I'm going to say now God save her like 93 minutes thank you is, yeah first two movies 92 and 93 minutes Fuck. this is the favourite of uh, Gibson's uh, Gibson's favourite out of the original yeah. three um, and also again like the first movie Gibson wasn't in the trailer as well so the American audiences and Western audiences wouldn't be put off by Not a lead knowing. that they didn't know so um, again the, fo- the trailer is mainly focused on the crashes um, and the, the car chase sequences rather than the people that were in the movie um, Vernon Wells was no, uh, uh, the character uh, was known as Bromitable on stage uh, on on the film <laughs> when he's uh, when he, apparently when his butt cheeks started going blue and purple they knew it was too cold so they had to go back on the bus and get warmed up. <laughs> that and they did a fantastic job acting. <laughs> dual dual purpose, them dash cheeks. Mate. Well, the left one, the right one, let it down. I reckon. <laughs> he just didn't want to be in Hollywood. Right? No, he wanted to be home in bed. It's not perfect. It's got a crack in it. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> The third movie now oh, going on. Fuck now, you. Even, right, even as a kid, even when I was young, way too young to watch these movies. I, I, I uh, when I, when I went, when I, I went on a crusade when eBay was like, 
you know, first came out and was massive. And I yeah. got all of Mel Gibson's movies on eBay, pretty much. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing Air, Air not Air Force. Air, Air America. Air America in your yeah. house, yeah. And so, and um, the Mad Max films were ones that I hunted down. And the third one, I remember even as a kid being a bit gutted and disappointed. But critics really liked the third movie. I'm going to say, do you want to rewatch it? I saw I rewatched it two nights ago. And for the first 15 minutes, I couldn't remember why I didn't like this film. I was like, this is actually pretty good. Oh, then I remember. Then it happened. <laughs> then it happened. So uh, we catch up with Mel Gibson as Max. This time his vehicle and all his possessions are being have been looted by, and you wouldn't believe it, Jerediah and his son Jerediah Jr. That was Gyro Man from the second movie. But it's not Gyro Man, it's not the same character. It's the I, same actor. It's the same actor doing the exact the same, same thing, plane, but, but a different character. Different character. <laughs> yeah, the, road, <laughs> the road warrior Max arrives at the desert town, Barter Town. Yeah, don't like that. <laughs> ruled by the evil Ant Entity. Ant Entity. Ant Entity. Mm. Where people... So people go back and forth in this uh, barter town trading food, water, weapons uh, for supplies. After being... So Gibson goes in, Max goes in, also, straight away sees his possessions. He goes on a rescue mission, you know, believes he's been wronged, goes to claim him back. He's and got nothing to trade, though. He's got nothing to trade. You have to trade to get in you there. You have to trade. It, do, you know what, do you know what? Aesthetically, it's awesome as well. Like, the guy he meets, he's like... Like just before him, he's like, I've got all this wheat to trade. He's like, you can be in here for 10 hours or you can have a woman for two hours. Mm. And I really like that dynamic. He's like, you, you've got to get in, you've got something to trade. And he's like, I've got a particular set of skills. That's cool. I like, I, it reminded me as well that years later of um, the Force Awakens movie, you know, when Ray kind of goes to collect her credits. Yes. And yeah, the Simon Pegg big character and he's like, uh, two credits or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah for the amount of metal that she trades in. But, but yeah. Do, but do you know what? So far, I'm actually all right with this one. I was, I was, I was like, maybe this is better than I thought it was. And it also, it's pretty cool because when he goes into uh, Barter Town, he sort of selling water, is it? And he pulls out a... A Geiger counter and yeah. he's like, he's radioactive as shit. Yeah, and he's just like, well, yeah, give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the lowest rating of him as well. So it's 18, 15 and now PG by this point. Or a 12 it would be. Yeah. Shows um, those, doesn't it? Again, that was something in the third movies, wasn't it? Because... You know, when you think of like films like Terminators, they eventually was, become twelves and stuff. Yeah. Well, when you think, yeah, but if you've seen the first and second, you're Why, not going to yeah. bring a twelve-year-old to go, oh yeah, uh, I watched the third one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it was a different time. It's like you, you're not allowed to see the films, but then again, do you remember how many Terminator kids uh, toys you're in? You could buy the toys. In the fucking film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had a face hugger toy. That I didn't know what it was for years. <laughs> the Terminator yeah. toy. It was like never my seen it. Explaining to me, it lays eggs in you. What? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grant. <laughs> my name was awesome. Yeah, she got me a Terminator toy. Oh, I had a Robocop toy. How, how long my Terminator toy is his face fit forward and then you could shot, he shot a projectile, lost that projectile instantly. Yeah, everyone like, lost James a projectile. Instantly. Chest piece fell out as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. Ghostbusters um, fire station, mate. You're going to go on a rant. It wasn't allowed the goo. My parents won't let me. They trust me. Yeah, so I had the Ghostbusters fire station and the ability to pour goo on them mm. wasn't actually allowed to go. Can't be trusted with goo. Can't be trusted with the goo, mate. <laughs> uh, so Max eventually gets into Barter Town, but he's forced to fight Master Blaster. <laughs> uh, I can only explain that is that Master is uh, the, the 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 controller, the yep. little guy, and then Blaster is the big muscle bands, and they must fight in Thunderdome, a but, gladiator arena. But before we get to Thunderdome, though, this is the first time when it makes sense because <clears throat> Barter Town separated. You know, you've got the top layer. Tina Turner owns that, mate. Every, she's like the high life. She's the, she's a celebrity. She's she's like everyone loves her. She gives them what they want. She gives them violence. She gives this, but it's all dependent on like Pig Town, which is basically where they burn pig feces to create the energy, and that's run by Master Blaster. So Master Blaster starts this. I didn't get this as a kid. 
and civil war. He's like, he shuts it down. So the so the town loses all its power and he's like, on the speakerphone, so the whole place can hear, he's like, say it. Like, say my name, bitch. And he's like, who owns this place? And she's like, you do. And like, do you know what? I was like, this is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Enter the Thunderdome. Yeah, which is the name of the movie. Yeah. So you would have figured it would be Beyond fundamental. Yeah, it's going to be fundamental. He does eat piss. No, no. Uh, so we must go for a fight to the death in this gladiator-like arena, which I quite liked. As a kid, like, you know, the scene when, like, the fight's not going anywhere, so they're, like, dropping more weapons in there. Mm. And it's and I do weird. think I do think that if humanity crumbled like this and, and people were to start, you know, it's glad, it is gladiatorial, gladiator, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's entertaining the people to keep order. I quite, it is, it, yeah, it was quite interesting. Like, the thing, the alarm bells for me is the first movie sets off, starts off very, you know, like, brooding. It mm. sets an atmosphere very early on when you see Max kind of, like, working on his engine and you don't see his face. Very kind of Western cowboy, Clint Eastwood style. You don't see his face um, as he's like tuning up and he's listening to everything on the radio and he's kind of like keeping it at arm's length and then he joins the pursuit. Second movie, it's got the big sweeping helicopter camera as we join Max in the middle of the desert. This movie starts with Tina Turner's soundtrack and straight away yeah. I'm like, oh, we've lost it all now. Like by the third movie, it's like the bodyguards, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, just the soundtrack, you're acting in it. Okay, that's fine. Tina Turner. I, I, don't, I don't think, think she did a bad was, performance. I don't think she's bad at all. I think the worst performance is Mel Gibson's hair in the first first two acts. It's, it, just, it's just like, weird. It's like someone's killed a dog and put it on his head. It's just, it's there. It and weird, it was also it? weird that when kids capture him, the first thing they do is cut his hair. <laughs> but it's, it's weird that they're trying to age him up. Yeah. You know, like, this movie's like early 80s. It's before he's done any Mad Max movie. And, and it is odd that they're trying to age him up. So the one thing I thought about the Thunderdome was, and I, I think I think this was me, why are they on baby slings? <laughs> I didn't remember that. Mm. I, when I thought of the Thunderdome, I literally thought it was, you know, two men and a, one man leaves. So there's two things. One, I forgot they were on like bungee cords, yeah. which, which is weird watching it because the action is, is is then weird. It's different to give it to you, to be honest. It's different, but it's weird. Not one, good different though. No, no, not good different, but it is different. But also how gullible that crowd is. It's like, as soon as you start a chant, they all fucking chant. It's like two minutes and one man leaves. So they're on his side. But then she's like, you break the law, you get the, you get the, Spinny thing. <laughs> just everyone's like, spinny things. But he's like, oh my God, what a fickle fucking audience. It's like, let him go. Actually, no, fuck him. <laughs> and, and I think he's really even going in the main story, yeah. After this, after, after he gets out of Thunderdome, he's banished anyway. So he was told that he was allowed his uh, his, his possessions but and, and uh, allowed to kind of free pass. But he gets banished a second time, thrown out into the wasteland. This time he's saved by a tribe of children who think Mac, who thinks Max is a pilot named Captain Walker. As a kid, this is where I really lost it. Yep. As an as an adult two days ago, this is where I really this, lost this it. This is where they turned it off. They think he's a pilot named Captain Walker, who's the chosen one who will take the children to the promised land, which is called Tomorrow Morrowland. Because there's a of course there's a fucking chosen one in my back's three. <laughs> and then the uh they later find out that the kids are all we're all passengers on a plane that then yeah. crash landed. I love the fact that the parents just fucked right off though. They're like, you know, no, you stay here. We'll go, we'll go look. See you later, kids. Leave all the kids on their own. <laughs> just, and, it, and the problem here at this point as well, you know, it's Lord of the Fly showed us what a great idea that was. Well, even though Hook came like in 91, it, straight away, I'm like, oh, this is very much like Hook now. We're like kids <laughs> acting like adults and barbarians. Lord of the Flies actually is a great, great call. And also I wasn't fond of Feral Kid in the second one. So in the third <laughs> movie, I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole clan of them. It's more than one Feral Kid. And then the film just loses all purpose towards the end. Yeah. So like, at least the first one, you could say, was a bit of a character study. The second one was all out balls to the wall action, and he had he had become a myth. He he was the man in black who was just walking the wastelands. Mm. 
you know, who stumbled across a scenario, again, very much like a Western, and when his job is done, he moves on to the next town, a myth, gone in the wind, a rumour, something that people will talk about for years to come and become an urban legend. The third movie, it just doesn't really make sense. I get the whole barter town stuff, and I think, you know, there would be townships, there would be little, uh, like... Um, little elements of civil- little civility that, yeah. you know, exist. And they like- would try to build back up, you know, what they once had. But then everything, but the kids bit, I'm like, what happened they, they, there? Two separate films. It They've feels, got to be. It does feel like the two scripts were happening and the, the, you know, they bumped into each other in the hallway and they scrambled and got the papers together and then they submitted it and they were like, okay, okay, yep, yeah, yeah, right. And leaves from the dome, goes off, yeah, back in the wasteland. Kids, what, what's I love, going on I here? love the fact that that means that somewhere out there, there's a story about a pilot who crash lands a plane and goes somewhere and now- And then meets Tina Turner. And then meets Tina Turner and kills her in a thunderdome. <laughs> Because I'll be honest, I bet Steven Seagal appears in that film. But again, critics like the third movie. They're fucking wrong, mate. It's, it's one of the movies, again, like like the Resident Evil TV show that we started with, where critics like it, the fans didn't. I certainly am not in the camp of liking Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, do you know what? I liked it more than I thought I was going to, but it's still not for me. It's, it's a damp squid on what is essentially, I'll be honest, really good storytelling with simple stories. Like what the first one we've got... He's afraid of a situation that he created. He wonders about the po- the, like the popular uh, the popularity of good and evil. It's like he's a good guy, but he's doing evil things. He's afraid of what that means, so he quits. But revenge and his past actions when he was being, catch up to him and it cost him something. He's dead, a husk, mad. He's gone. He's lost it, <clears throat> driven to crazy. He does something that we never saw a hero do at the end of the first film. He basically gets a guy, sets him. He goes like hands him a hacksaw. It's like you know you got ten minutes to. It'll take you, what is it? It'll take you 10 minutes to cut through this the handcuff. Chain. Yeah. Or, or it'll take you five, five minutes, minutes to cut through your leg. It's like, good luck. And then leaves. And the guy's like, he's like Johnny the boy or something. Johnny boy. He's like, you don't do this to me, man. It's great. Yeah, that's your hero. That's mm. what he's got now. He's not your hero. He doesn't care. Second one, you know what? Bigger budget. Make it more post-apocalyptic. But the story is essentially get fuel from point A to point B. That's all you need. Yeah, and if the if the, if the bargaining chip wasn't that you get as much fuel as you can carry, he would have <laughs> fucked them people right off. Exactly, and that's what he is. He's not a hero. In the second one, it's like, I'll go here, I'll do this. I don't want to kill, you know, I don't want to kill this, um, I don't want to kill this character because he, now he's not evil. It's like, I don't want to kill for killing's sake. I'll only kill for, I'll only kill for fuel. Oh, I won't <laughs> do anything wrong though. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, here's some kids. Oh, fuck it, I'll save them. And then they sneak back in. Oh my god, it's horse shit. It is the sec- the third one? Sorry, is 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 the weakest of the original trilogy for me. Yes, agreed. I would see him as it's ascending. You know, one, two, then three. Yeah, I've, I do. I like the first one more the second mm. time around, but I'm I'm gonna be loyal. No, two, one, three. As a young film enthusiast, uh, rumors of a fourth Mad Max film were pretty much solid through the early two thousands. I think we're quite possibly what we thought Logan was going to be. Like that's, that's, and then that's not, we make that reference all the time, but genuinely when we heard about Mad Max 4, Mel Gibson, a much older actor, were we going to see Mad Max who had retired, maybe tried to settle down his own civilization, brought back into the world of assless chaps and guzzling? No. No. <laughs> and then the, uh, you know, obviously with the controversy of Mel Gibson, you know, becoming at that time unemployable, uh, it looked to recast, in this case, Tom Hardy picking up the reins, um, once again directed and written by uh, uh, George Miller uh, and Brendan McCarthy as well. Tom Holland, Charles Ferron and Nicholas Holt starring in Mad Max Fury Road. Now, eagle-eyed listeners would might have heard me say that the second one, my issue with it was they had very little narrative and was just a chase movie. Yeah. Wow. Now, this <laughs> works. Yes. And it is a, unfortunately, it is a testament to the fact that visual effects have come on leaps and bounds it is paced a lot better as well. Yeah, so whilst it's a singular chase, there are gaps where the story is allowed to evolve or show you 
and something. Miller has developed it also as a filmmaker. Um, and, you know, the, the film it can still be written on the back of a postage stamp. It, you know, we're introduced very early on to Tom Hardy now playing uh, Max, um, who again is wandering the wastelands, long hair, disheveled, yeah. very much kind of uh, a loner out there. He's then picked up by bandits, taken to um, the the wastelands, taken to uh, the the new gang, the the new psychotic group that is ruling, um, where he meets a new leader, Mortal Joe. Mortal Joe returning cast member from Mad Max One is uh, Hugh Case Burn. So uh, Toe Cutter himself reprising this time as new villain and Mortal Joe, which I thought was really cool. Oh, it's just really cool. Is he not two out two, right? I've only ever seen him in two films and bang, wow, mate, <laughs> smashed them out. Storyline this one isn't centred around Max, it's centred around Furiosa. Max so. literally could be replaced by Bill. Mm. <laughs> and I like that. Uh, okay, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> he's not mad, but he's not that great. So uh, the tyrannical ruler himself, Immortal Joe, has uh, his, uh, his, his chosen women. So they're, Basically, they're there to breed, aren't his they? Br- his brides, his, uh, his girls, you know, who uh, Furiosa, being the rebel leader of this group, um, on, on a standard mission where she's off to go get fuel and bring it back, she's actually smuggling out of the compound and out of the uh, wastelands um, all these women. She's saving them. She's taking them to a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, Immortal Joe learns that all his prized possessions, his women are gone, and then sets off chase uh, a group of his demonic, crazed uh, worshippers. In there is Max, who at the time is being used as a blood bank. Yeah, for Nicholas Holt. For Nicholas Holt's character who is ill. So they're using him, they, they've hooked him up with an IV and he's doing a blood transfusion. There's so also, Max is brought along for the ride. So there's like a Viking element as are they embrace death. It's semi to Valhalla. I'm all chrome and shiny. And if you don't know what that means, well, get ready. The <laughs> film... Sorry. I was going to say, just get ready because you're going to hear it a lot. <laughs> the film the film is like, is, is, or is trippy. It's shot fast. Everyone is a sentry. Everyone is running up to the camera and screaming and talking. And, you know, it's it's that erratic kind of behavior that gives it that real unhinged, psychotic feel to it. You know, I'm thinking when they're mobilizing, when they learn that Furiosa has veered off the track and isn't going to a predetermined destination and she's heading for, you know, the, the mountainsides and um, Immortal Joe sends his, his gang, you know, of worshippers after them. You know, they, they're crazed as they're running to get their steering wheels to then gear up into, you know, with their sand buggies to kind of take chase. And the movie then doesn't really let up. There's a few scenes where it does just to give you a breather just for Max to kind of become freed and to become kind of embroiled in this um, relationship with Furiosa and to kind of join the cause, you know, and to see that there is actually some good, you know, in, in helping them. But then it is pretty much action and it is really spectacular from sand, from electrical sandstorms with red and blue and chaotic lighting that I'm not even going to question why that's there. I'm just, that's maybe just a thing in the apocalyptic future. Yeah. Um, I guess, to, I guess the, the, the post-apocalyptic gets you, gives you the reason. It's like, well, maybe something to do with this, you know, this radiation. Happened. Yeah, exactly. It's something's like, happening. Yeah. But then the, you just the pure acrobatics of, you know, the, um, the villains with their like bungee cords, um, uh, what would you call it, kind of like ropes as they're kind of going from vehicle to vehicle that are exploding, you know, and uh, the rust and the metal and all that and the dry sand and it has a real feel and it has a real kind of energy to the film that I hadn't seen. I, I had no expectations going into Mad Max. The trailer didn't even really do anything for me. I was mm-hmm. like, that third one hurt and, and I feel like we've seen as much as we need. And boy, was I wrong. I remember seeing it at the cinema and just thinking, fucking hell, this is just pure adrenaline craziness that doesn't really let up I, like you know the, the times when it stops it allows Charlize Theron to do what she's brilliant at and that is act mm. and allows her to kind of give depth to that character and it, and 
Tom Hardy, you know, you you could, you know, you could write Tom Hardy off as just a grizzled kind of tough man. And this, that is what he needs to do. He needs to be the silent, uh, you know, warrior in this. But what it does expertly is it, it steps away from Max and puts the emphasis on Furiosa. No mm. wonder she's getting a spin-off. Yeah. And what a great character as well, the birth of an original. Yeah. And in a fourth movie, you know, to make, the, and, and it being named after him, but actually the film is not necessarily about him. He's got a role to play, but it's very much about Furiosa. And then there's always, because you can't talk about this film and not talk about the character Furiosa, like expanding, shadowing over Mad Max. You know, Charlie Theron basically putting in a performance of this is how you do a drama action film. But I always feel like he gets forgotten about Nicholas Holt. Mm. Fucking what a performance is like basically an underling, like just a savage. And he goes through this character, oh, that's brilliant. But, but I like the little bits in this. Like, for example, like everyone's got their own gearhead. You know, you can't, you only the only special people get to drive war rigs. Mm. You know, she's like Max, only she can turn her, only she can turn the war rig on. No one else can. That's what something comes up with, you know, Max booby traps his cars in the first and the second film. Oh, and the third film, because he's forced to it on, on the, so he, she does it. So it's like, it's, it's a great story. And then they treat him all Joe like he's a god. It's like, he looked at me. You know, he, you know, Valhalla shines on me. And then for no reason, mate, and it's still epic. And it doesn't matter that there's no storyline. A, a car driving a guy on electric guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Flame throws. You're in a flame throws. It the doesn't most, matter. The most metal scene ever. <laughs> um, do you know what? It works. The, the only one better than it is in an alien upside down world playing fucking, is it Metallica? Is it Iron oh, Maiden? Oh, in, in, uh, yeah, in, in Stranger Things. things. It is, it is really good. It, it's a, it's one of the movies where I had no expectations of and, and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed throughout the whole film. And it is one of those where the crazier it gets, the better. You yeah. know, the, 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 the worshippers, you know, the psychotic group as they're slingshotting themselves from vehicle to vehicle and using like homemade bombs to blow up. And it looks visually stunning. Yeah. There are scenes when the main vehicle, the tanker that's transporting, uh, you know, the, the women across the, the, the deserts is, um, being attacked by these like sand buggies and they're blowing up at the side of the vehicle and they're tumbling and they're rolling in slow motion. It just looks visually brilliant. Um, and it's amazing that they, that, you know, that it's a two hour movie. There's essentially a chase movie, um, a car movie that they still, they, they, it doesn't take its foot off the pedal at any point. I found it. I've really, really enjoyed it. I rewatched it this week in preparation for this. And I was like, Christ, why don't I watch this movie every year? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just film. one of those kind of films. So if you would add it, into the Mad Max anthropology, is it top? Uh, yeah, it probably is. It probably is. It is. It is because you can't. As much as I'm, a, you know, a sucker for nostalgia and originals and all that kind of stuff, and the first movie did the legwork. There's nothing wrong with it. Is it's a good film. It's, it's a, a very film. good film. And but you have to. Weirdly, it's one of those films that I think you appreciate more if you've seen Mad Max. Mm. And 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 what's really good is you can tell it's the same director. Is because it shows very limited story. Yeah, the story is simple. It's just like they're trying to, you know, she's trying to save some. Oh, it is a great, and a film that came out of nowhere. I didn't, no one was talking about how much they want to see this. I remember seeing the trailer. I think with you in the cinema, and we're like, we're we gonna see this. I was like, maybe. And it won Oscars for visual effects, and fucking should have done as well. It was a great film. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, Furious, are you gonna watch it? Yeah, hundred percent. Are you gonna watch anything? So I assume that if they're gonna do a Furious, why wouldn't they do another Mad Max film? They probably, you know, focus on Max. Would you watch that? Uh, yeah, I think I would. I mean, why not? Tom Tom Hardy was hot at the time when he was recast as Max. Yeah, you know, very hot at the time, and I mean, still pretty hot. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know where we stand with Mel Gibson at this point in time. You know, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously still in movies. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be back to, you know, big box office movies. Mm. Even the films he directs. You know, um, yeah, 
yeah, like Hacksaw Ridge and stuff, they kind of reluctantly put his name on that poster. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe we are a Tom Hardy thing, but you know, if 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 Furiosa kind of spawns a, I suppose the only thing for me is how much how much dystopian apocalyptic. Australian wasteland movies do I watch you want to watch do you know what I mean because <laughs> there's always so many yeah you could argue one is too many this isn't a dig but Australia's like the perfect place to set post-apocalyptic because obviously the centre of the country is inhabitable <laughs> so it's the perfect place to shoot these sort of films so um, yeah it, Mad Max so we obviously put things in a vault and I think we put the Mad Max so I know we only put stories in it but sometimes we put the characters in and we put I think the Mad Max the Mad Max character and yeah, certainly I, one and two. Yeah, George and Miller's Fury creation. Yeah. I, I, Furious, definitely. I mean, I, I would say Mad Max 1, 2, and 4 and just leave Tina Turner and a and Master Blaster out. <laughs> leave her in her own sling. They've, they've, they've got nothing to barter <laughs> to get in there. Nice. And uh, as it agreed, there you go. Um, we always like to end if we've only got new, any new films. Mm. So I've been to cinema this week and seen a big film. Um, obviously left it to the end because if you want to go see it without my velvety words then please say it so I went the other week the other day sorry to work to oh, fuck me obviously this is going to be the best part of the episode <laughs> Where the Crawdads Sing so this is um, the latest film we went to Esther the other night directed by Olivia Newman based on a book of the same name written by Delia Owens starring Daisy Edgar Jones Taylor John Smith Harris Dixon and Michael Hyatt have you seen any or heard anything about this? I heard that this is a waste of uh, Daisy Edgar Jones's talent that's oh. the only thing I heard. So you remember you were talking about, we were talking about the third one, and there's a disconnect between critics and uh, viewers and yeah. audiences. Critics don't get this film. Audiences, mate, are flocking to see it, and it's and they're loving it. And as attested, Esther was a huge fan of this. I'll give you my opinions after this. Kai is a resourceful girl growing up in a North Carolina marsh, uh, marsh during the 1950s. Her father is abusive, and one by one, her family leaves the house. First, her mother walks out to flee the physical abuse, and then her sisters and brothers go. So basically, one by one, they're leaving her, and she has to stay. She's the youngest. So every day, uh, every moment, she sees another loved one leave. And it basically boils down to her father and herself. But during this time, her father softens up and the two bond over fishing and exploring the marsh. And she gets a greater appreciation of what it is to like live off the land, be naturistic. And because he's an alcoholic and he gambles any money that he owns, they live off the land. You know, he sells mussels that he gets. So he always takes them to the shop where she meets the shop owner and the shop owner's wife. And they develop a nice camaraderie because it's like they know there's things that she's going through, but it's never openly said, so they can't do anything about it. They understand that she's probably in a better position of looking after herself. But after receiving a letter from Kai's mother, her father burns it, and the next day he is gone. Now completely alone, Kai learns how to survive the marsh on her own, constantly avoiding authorities and learning how to earn money to gas her boat so the cycle can continue. So she needs to earn money so she can collect muscles, so she can buy money, so she can get gas, so she can collect muscles, so she can sell them. So basically, this is her life. She um, now completely alone, oh sorry, um, she becomes known, she becomes an unknown enigma to the townspeople who nickname her the Marsh Girl. Mm. Um, in 1965, Kaya is arrested after local quarterback and generally loved man Chase Andrews is found dead at the bottom of a fire tower. The townspeople believe the weird girl from the marsh is to blame for killing their local hero and only retired lawyer Tom Milton stands up for her and becomes her only advocate during her case. What we've got is we've got massive disconnect because the trial is used as a framing point of the film. So it actually opens with her being arrested. And so we learn about her childhood as she's telling her lawyer in a cell. And then when she goes up, uh, when she goes up uh, and they start interviewing witnesses, 
basically that's how you find out that she she met this guy on the marsh and she fell in love with him, but he went off to university and left her. So she found another love. So the framing device is the trial. Mm. And that's how you learn about the backstory and what she goes through. My problem with the film is that the trial is, you actually forget. So so she says, so she gets arrested. She sat there in a jail and she starts telling her story. And it's like 40 minutes later, you, you go back to the trial and you're like, oh, fuck me, yeah, she's on trial. <laughs> she's on trial for this murder of a character you've not met yet. And you're like, hmm. It's plodding, it's pacing, it is terrible. Now, I think what happens is, this is a very popular book. If you like the book, you don't seem to like the film because a lot of the characters' screen time is like the owners of the shop apparently have a much bigger role. One of her loves... Um, so she grows as a character. So she learns because she only knows the marsh. That's how she makes a living. She doesn't, she no longer collects muscles. She draws the creatures and she gets a book published. So she meets publishers and, you know, she starts seeing the world outside. Another character starts showing her, tries to show her like what a normal life is. Like, I want you to leave the marsh. She's like, no, I don't want to because her life exists purely in the marsh. That's all she's known. And I think if you've read the book, that actually harms your viewing. It's the biggest debate, isn't it? There's a book you love. It's on the big screen. They're going to have to make choices. They're going to have to get rid of things, shorten things. And I think it's more evidential in this because it's such a well-loved book. A lot of people don't like it. I've never read the book. I thought the pacing was off. Is something missing for me? I think the framing device that is so in the massive gaps where I genuinely forget about things. I'm like, oh yeah, we're on a trial. I'm not joking. And when the trial came back, I was like, oh yeah, that bloke's dead. <laughs> I remember that from the start of the film. But the one thing I would definitely just would definitely agree on Daisy Edgar Jones is the future. She's mm. brilliant. She's phenomenal. She's fantastic. Drawn in. She's beautiful. And do you know what? It's not the performances. There's just something a bit fishy. Something a bit off. But then there's people who love it. Like like Esther Dodd, she thought it was one of the best films she's seen in a while. I, I figured I'd watch it. I think a lot of the elements you talked about, the courtroom drama, kind mm. of um, murky backgrounds, kind of working off the land. Like, like that to me... It's something that I'd, I'd invest my time into. Beautifully shot as well. And like I say, the performances aren't weak. Yeah. There's just it, something... It reminds about. me of like when movies like The Goldfinch came out and um, Rebecca and films like that, where hmm. it's like straight away, the the book the book like fans are like, it's not like the book, it's not, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because you know they're going to be adapted at some point. I'm the same when I watch the, the you know, the Dark Tower, but I have reason to because the Dark Tower <laughs> was shit. Shit, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're right. I mean, Desi Jones, if you, uh, you know, her filmography is 12 credits, you know, from Outnumbered and uh, Silent Witness, you know, to being cast in the BBC version of uh, War of the Worlds, to then Fresh, that movie I talked about with Sebastian yeah. Stan, the cannibal movie. And then I, weirdly that you say that, I'm just watching now on, on Disney, uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the Andrew Garfield show. Yeah. Set in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and it's about... Uh, Mormon communities. Yeah. And he is a Mormon detective in a town that is 99% like Mormon. Oh my God, that sounds like, I'm not joking, that legit sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, and she, she's the the murder victim. Oh, okay. um, So she's, uh, Daisy Jones is, is the, you know, he goes to see the crime and she's been killed. And um, they arrest the husband because, you know, again, 99% of the time it's the husband, he's covered in blood and then he starts telling the story back and it's one of them film, it's one of the series, I'm only three episodes in, uh, a seven part run. Has it got you? I know nothing about Mormon communities or religion or anything like that. And mm. So it has to really kind of explain it to someone like me who knows nothing, you know, about it. Um, Garfield's really good, really reliable. It is a study on him losing his faith, you know, like, so the people that he's questioning are his his brothers, you know, in, in the church, they're known as brothers. You know, these are people that he, he meets every Sunday or, you know, and prays with, you know, and now all of a sudden, are they responsible for crimes or 
or actually are they not, but are they part of something that's much, much bigger that makes him question his own beliefs? And the only thing I will say is it, it do, it's all right when you're watching a TV show that's all set where you see cutbacks to the past. Yeah. That's how a lot of crime films work and murder mysteries work because you get to see another part yeah. of the puzzle. You they need to see it from a different perspective. Yeah, you got to see why they, they think they're like the... The, the red herring and that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know that for the first four episodes, they're going to give you the red herrings. They're going to show you the people because it's going to take you away from the person you should have been looking at. And there's mechanics to it. And, you know, there'll be undeniable evidence that this person did it, but then by series two, someone comes forward and gives them an alibi. And you know all that stuff's happening. So that's fine. But it also gives flashbacks to like the start of, the, you know, the the Book of Mormon and the, the kind of the start of the Mormon kind of community and Uprise and the Prophets. That it really then detached you from the main story. You're like, oh my God, we're coming right back here, if we, you know, like, it's like, well, I, do you know what I mean? But I think it's supposed to, because it's supposed to give people like me who have no knowledge whatsoever, you know, and, and quite ignorant around like that, that religion and that way of life, the kind of, the, 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 the foundation to understand the turmoil that this guy's going through. It's, it is good. It's not, it's a 15. And like I say, the, the murder is brutal. But then after that, it's, uh, it's very much like a who done it why is all this happened? Um, but it's fascinating. Now, again, I'm, I can't, you can't then really base my knowledge of a religion on a TV show. Yeah, that exactly. I've <laughs> but I'm assuming, even finished. <laughs> I'm assuming they've done their homework and it is fascinating to watch it. Fair enough. But yeah, under the banner of heaven, hopefully I'll watch it, finish it this week. That sounds one good. of them shows that it's seven episodes. So I like one a night, just one an evening. That's fine. So yours is on Disney plus. Yeah. And mine is out in the cinemas. I will watch Where the Crawdads Sings when it comes out. Yeah. I think when it's on Sky Cinema or Netflix or wherever it finds its home, I will watch it. Weirdly, when I was in the cinema, I was a bit bored. But it's one of those films that afterwards, I found myself, the more I talked about someone, like Esther loved it, and the more she talked about it, I got enthusiastic about it. I was like, do you know what? Maybe I'm being a dick. <laughs> no. <laughs> which, which is often the case. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, maybe. that is our show for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Mad Max, obviously, we've got, uh, I want to say recommendation, but it's there if you want it, Where the yeah. Crawdads Sings. Um, let us know if you saw Resident Evil. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if you watched uh, Walking Raccoon City, again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is our show for this week. If you, if you like it, don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us a review. That'd be really good. Next week, we're getting back together to talk about Judge Dredd. We're going to talk about the Sylvester Stallone incarnation and the Carl Urban movie. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> uh, this week in the vault, obviously, Mad Max 1, Mad Max 2, and Mad Max Fury Road. But I'll see you there. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Goodbye.